So, without any more ado, uh, we'll turn to our main order of the day, which is um, a presentation by Professor Fernando Tesson. Uh, many of you will know him uh, by his work on humanitarian intervention. He was one of the earliest and most influential scholars on this topic, and his work is really notab notice notable for uh, very, very strongly and powerfully orienting a conception of international law and international obligation around the idea of human rights. And actually just reading his, uh, his blurb from the website today, I learned something I didn't know about you, Fernando, which was that um, before your academic career, you had a career in uh, the Argentine diplomatic service. And in fact, um, uh, Fernando had resigned his post in 1981 uh, as a, um, uh, a uh, in, in response to human rights uh, abuses by the Argentine uh, government. So you can see that his engagement in these issues of human rights is, is both long-standing and also goes goes well beyond the um, the, the scholarly. Professor Tesson, we're we're delighted to have you here today, and um, we look forward to your to your presentation. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, David. Uh, it's a great honor for me to be at Oxford. I, uh, I love Oxford. Who doesn't? I mean, this is phenomenal. I go to most people. I like it in the winter better. The fires in the winter are really fantastic. And um, If you wonder about my Oxford perfect English, it's because I was born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina, for many years in the United States. So I'd like to talk today about targeted killing. This uh, this uh, piece that I'm going to present today is uh, part of a of a uh, of, of a volume that Oxford University Press, here, the English uh, branch, is going to uh, publish in, in in February in March, I think, in a couple of months from now, um, and has all kinds of views uh, about the, the subject. Um, all right. So uh, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Uh, in May of 2011. Uh, a uh, unit of uh, SEALs, a special unit, uh, American uh, commandos, uh, SEAL, Navy SEALs, uh, found and killed uh, Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. I am going to talk about that, but first of all, first, I, what I want to do today is to explore the general status, if you will, moral status of targeted kill. I am not, I repeat, I am not, even though I'm, I, I am a law professor, I write, I, I don't write a lot in law, I write mostly in uh, philosophy, moral political philosophy. So I'm not going to explore the legal status of targeted killing, I'm going to just the, the moral standing of it, the moral status, the morality of it. And in order to do so, what I want to do is to approach the subject in general, and not just related to terrorists, but in general. And that is, what is targeted killing? Generally, and what is its moral status generally? How, what is the best way to think about it? I define it here, just for our purposes, as the extrajudicial intentional killing by the state of an identified person for a public purpose. That's a definition that no, no substantive issue turns on it, it's just for positive purposes. But I have just a few words about it. The extrajudicial uh, means, uh, what that means is not in con uh, a killing of somebody by the state in uh, implementation of a sentence. Uh, intentional killing uh, uh, by the state, the state has to be a liberal state, but I don't discuss that, okay, uh, here. I, I have other reasons, I'm not on the paper, why only states that are in some sense legitimate 
are entitled, morally entitled to conduct these killings of an identified person. Now, this is an important. The targeted, the targeted killing is of a named person. It's not enough to say that it's intentional. Intentional because you also kill intentionally soldiers in the battlefield. Those are intentionally killed by, in a war, right? See, it's not only intentional in that sense that you intend to kill, but the person is identified prior to the killing by name and the, and the, and the killer, the assassin, basically uh, uh, zeroes in on the, on the target. For a public purpose here, public purpose means it's a very loose term, means for reasons other than gain, or uh, I'm going to come back to that, to what that means. I want to start, though, uh, with a premise. There are a number of assumptions here that are not, that I don't explicate. One assumption is that, <laughs> it, sounds, uh, it sounds obvious, but it bears repeating. But we've one lectures about this really pretty repulsive topic, right? And that is that the deliberate killing of another human being is presumptively a deeply immoral act. The moral presumption has to be, it is against this act. This has to become clear. I'm not accept, accepting any premises that, that, that are strategic or, or that presuppose that the state has within its arsenal this tool killing persons in a conflict uh, anywhere. It's exactly the opposite presumption. And when I say this, I say uh, not just uh, the presumption against killing your own citizens, but also killing foreigners. Foreigners have right to life, you know, which is universal. I'm going to come back to that, uh, to that um, uh, as well. So my strategy is going to be as follows. I'm going to talk about uh, targeted killing in peacetime, total peacetime. Forget about war on terror, forget about Second World War, just in peacetime. Targeted killing in wartime, actually it's a situation that the Geneva Conventions define as a war, conventional war, and a third category, and you will see why I Put it, I create a third category, and that is the killing, targeted killing of terrorists, which I think, my argument here is going to be that the justification is sui generis, but I'm not, I don't want to anticipate. So, I want to start first with uh, in peacetime. So, I, my, I, I suggest that the talent, talent, uh, targeted killing in peacetime uh, well, the first reaction, I mean, it has to be wrong, always wrong, right? Uh, that's where we should start. If we are, are going to send a mission for, from the part of Britain or the United States sending a mission to uh, Iran and to kill Ahmadinejad, distasteful as he may be, is wrong. It's just something that is wrong, right? However, a blanket prohibition against it may be too quick. Imagine, for example, the morality if you will, of killing Hitler in 1939, not during the war, right before the war. You know, let's assume that the epistemic problems are solved, we know, you know, that this man is going to invade Poland and that that is going to, let's assume that you are, you have enough information to know that this is going to cause untold suffering in blood and treasure to millions of persons, including innocent persons, and you also know that killing this person will not will actually abort the war, will actually prevent the war. I suggest that that may be justified, may be justified. The other example that I give in the book is, suppose that you know that somebody is about to unleash a genocide against its own people. 
I, I understood what you know. It's not that, you know, the, the, I, don't, I don't want any epistemic objections now saying, how do you know? Well, let's assume that you know. <clears throat> and, and you know that somebody is about to unleash a genocide that is going to kill half a million people in some country. And you cannot, and the alternatives are uh, to invade, for example, the country. Now, invading will cause lots of deaths of uh, the deaths of the combatants and the death, deaths of the of the uh, collateral deaths of the civilians, right? And so, therefore, uh, I suggest that in May, and again with great caution, those kills may be justified. Just consider two things, two factors here. One is that both in the case of prevention of aggression, the Hitler uh, hypothetical, or in the case of prevention of genocide, let's say the Pol Pot uh, hypothetical. Assuming that by kill, sending a sniper to kill the man will actually prevent the disaster, assuming that, right? Why would that be worse than actually invading to stop the massacre or invading to stop the aggression? Think about it. If you, do, uh, if you invade, and lots of innocent people are going to die. You're going to prevent the, the, the aggression or the genocide, but you're going to cause... Uh, of course, all these horrible things that war causes, right? Uh, moreover, if you kill the person, you limit the victims to one. And moreover, you limit the victims to the person who's culpable in the first place, right? So therefore, <coughs> at least it seems to me, there's a, uh, if we value human life, if we value, yeah, human life, it seems to me that it is at least argue, arguable that it is permissible in those extreme circumstances, and I will underscore very extreme circumstances, the, to actually kill somebody during peacetime. Notice that in both examples, is still peacetime. We're talking Hitler in 1939, we're talking killing Pol Pot before he actually perpetrates the genocide. Okay, so the conditions I put forth for these very strict conditions are must say the killing in peacetime must save many innocent lives. I'm not talking about five or ten, many. A large number of them. As, in, as they occur during an aggression or a war, right? Or a, or, or a genocide. Uh, secondly, must have a just cause. Let me explain that because this is uh, unclear. Uh, I'll that. The, the, it seems to me that the first reaction, well, you say the cause is to save the innocent lives. That's the cause. That is to it might well be that the cost to save innocent lives. But it is possible to uh, uh, perpetrate a targeted killing that saves innocent lives and yet still is murdered. How is that? <coughs> Imagine, again, Second World War, we also like, also that's a good question, who the good, good guys and the bad guys there. So imagine that um, Hitler knows that if he invades Poland uh, in 1939, uh, uh, Churchill will react, will plunge Britain into war. He knows that. And so therefore, he uh, goes and just sends a sniper to kill Churchill. And he, went, and he kills Churchill. And he knows that now, now Britain is going to, let's say, assume Britain will not go to war after Churchill is assassinated. <coughs> and Hitler says, well, I followed the sunset that you have to save in a life. I've saved lots of millions of lives. Because now the, the Allies are not are not interposing themselves into my purposes. Well, that's murder, even if it saves lives. So that second requirement has to be something like the 
state that conducts the killing must not be on the wrong side of a war, of a just war, must not have the just, an unjust cause. That is better put than having a just cause. The target must be culpable, a villain, right? So the, cul the, the matter of culpability is, is also thorny. Culpability may mean a moral culpability, or may mean causal, culpability for causal, causally posing the threat. But generally speaking, I think the person that is a target must be somebody who is culpable of creating the threat of the many lives of the, of, of the deaths that, that are, are part of the first condition. Uh, I'll come back to that uh, later. Uh, and finally, there are no non-lethal alternatives available. The, the two that I, that I discussed briefly in, <coughs> in, in the peace are diplomacy, I mean, if you can have, that's well studied, if you can actually issue a credible threat to avoid the, 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 the catastrophe, <coughs> then you should try that. Now notice that in order to issue credible threat, uh, the threat has to be credible, so you have to be lying or bluffing, really, because otherwise you would be, in fact, unleashing the catastrophe if the person does not yield to the threat, or capturing the villain. So if the snipers can capture Hitler, can, can, uh, <coughs> that are sent to kill Hitler, can capture him, that is morally preferable, always. I'll come back to capture, the issue of capture when I discuss terrorists because it applies in the case of Bin Laden and the, the cases that are very much in our minds today. So, these are the very, notice how strict the conditions are. Only, only avoiding a catastrophe, like an aggression or a genocide justifies killing somebody in peacetime. That is not enough, it has to have, you have to be on the right, right side of the conflict or the that, that pits you against the villain, the target must be a villain, a culpable person. For example, you are not allowed to kill the family of, 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 of the person who is threatening terrorism, even if that will stop uh, the threat, right? So it's, it, my position is di differs from the position of many philosophers who actually think that avoiding the threat, saving the lives is the only thing that matters. If that were true, you could kill the children. You know, why not kill the children? If you thought that killing the children of some dictator will actually make the dictator collapse and not carry out his uh, murderous uh, intentions, then I think that that is forbidden. You have to focus on the villain, right? On the person who's responsible. Uh, all right, so this is in, uh, here are the conditions in peacetime. <coughs> I don't know what the rules are about. Oh, I speak for 40 minutes, then we have a discussion. I don't okay, now let's move on to war. Target killing in war. Uh, some, some authors, not, notably Francis Lieber, I don't know if you knew, Francis Lieber was a, uh, a, a German guy that was hired by Abraham Lincoln uh, to, to write the laws of war, and he thought that he was uh, forbidden in the battlefield to kill, to do target killing, to say, we are going to focus on Colonel Sanders. I mean, we want to kill Sanders. We don't like Sanders, right? Or and he said, he said that that's outrageous, that the soldiers fight for their honor, for their homeland, and that's treating someone as, as an outlaw and a criminal. But I think that has to be wrong, Libra. It's all, I mean, I know what inspires him, but it has to be wrong. Because if it is, uh, let me remind you something I'm sure this, this audience knows very well, that unfortunately, in war, the licenses, the prohibitions against killing others are significantly relaxed, right? 
We, we can normally cannot kill other people. During war, under circumstances specified by the laws of war, it is morally, legally morally permitted to kill other people. Right? So I suggest that the permissions and restrictions of the laws of war apply. So for example, when the NATO troops are in Afghanistan fighting terrorists on the battlefield, right? Uh, then uh, it doesn't matter that, that the, the enemies are, do not wear uniforms. It doesn't matter that they are uh, whoever they are, I mean, but actually they can be named. Somebody supposed the commander says, look at Colonel Sanders there, he's actually decimating our troops with a machine gun, go and take him out. If it's permitted to kill him without saying that, it's permitted to kill him saying that. So it seems to me that Lieber's position doesn't go, uh, doesn't wash there. Now, off the battlefield is a little bit more complicated. Suppose that Colonel Sanders goes to sleep. Can we kill him? in the barracks, all right? When he's asleep, sleeping in the barracks. Well, uh, the laws of war say yes. Geneva Convention is allowed to do that. Uh, David Rowling has written a magnificent book uh, challenging that. that that's, he seems to be that he believes that the morality, common morality would not allow that. Uh, uh, I think that I follow others and disagree a little bit with David here that if Colonel Sanders is sleeping in the barracks, restoring his energies for the battle, then it is permitted to kill him there, like the Geneva Convention's permit. Recall that Colonel Sanders is an unjust enemy. He's fighting an unjust war. The permissions of war or to kill are only permissions of, for my purposes, of the side that has a just cause. In this sense, I follow Jeff McMahon, who very convincingly argued about that, argued that. It doesn't apply to all sides. So when the unjust enemy kills our guys, either in the barracks or anywhere in the battlefield, it's, it's, it's an unjustified killing. But if you, if you disagree with that, go talk to Jeff McMahon. Don't talk to me. I think, but I, I want to make my case. I want to make sure that you know, when, when the state that I did carries out the targeted killing has a just cause. I think that to me that's important. So, uh, what about the political leaders during wartime? What about if, if uh, fighting a war, can we, could, could we, could the United States have gone, for example, just to change the example a bit, during the Iraq war, assuming controversially that that war was justified, which many people think it was not, but assuming that it was something like that, could the United States have gone to, to, uh, to uh, Baghdad and killed, uh, what's his name, Saddam Hussein, uh, if that would have ended the war, would have saved lots of, would have ended the war, is it just that justified? Uh, well, uh, I think they, that they are the commanders in chief of the unjust aggressor. So killing Hitler during the Second World War was justified, not on some weird grounds of assassination, but on the loss of killing enemies, uh, the plain loss of war, because in fact Hitler and uh, Saddam Hussein are the commander in chiefs, where, I would say, commander in chiefs of the armies that are fighting the unjust war. So you can kill them, and not uh, out of culpability or anything like that, as you can kill any enemy soldier, uh, the only justification being to increase the chance of victory, as Walter says, uh, and so forth. Now, I, in the paper, I talk about other officials during war, Albert Speer, for example, during the Second World War. Was the killing, Albert Speer was the minister, the brilliant uh, young minister of armaments of Hitler, so he was a civilian architect. Well, minister of armaments is pretty... So I think that if, if uh, he was sufficiently involved in the war effort, 
uh, to be justified under because in, of the battlefield <laughs> during a war, during a war, right? Uh, but random officials and related to war are much more dubious. I mean, I don't think you could uh, justify killing the German and the Secretary of Public Parks at the time just because he's not part of the set of Germans that were the enemy, that, that were vulnerable to killing. So I think that in war, as you can see, things are much more permissive, but there, there are restrictions. For example, some people, what about the following distinction? Suppose I said that when Colonel Sanders is sleeping in the barracks, you can reluctantly perhaps aim at him. What about Colonel Sanders in on vacation? Right, you're at war, <coughs> Colonel Sanders is not in the barracks, but he's back in his in his country, just having dinner with his family, and you send uh, a sniper, uh, this guy as a waiter, who, and uh, he serves him like poison food, and he, <coughs> and he killed him. You know, what about that? You didn't like that? Well, Daniel Stadman says, if you can kill him in the barracks, you can kill him the, on vacation as well. And I, with great hesitation, said, I'll draw the line somewhere. I think, I don't think, I think that killing in the barracks, reluctantly, I would say, is justified. Well, killing him on vacation, reluctantly, I say it's not justified. And the reason is that he has removed himself from the war machine at that point. He's truly in his civilian capacity, and, he, and since the permissibility of <coughs> killing in general in war is troublesome, troublesome already, we should interpret it as narrowly as possible. And with great reluctance, I think that the geographical location matters. So I think that to give an example today, I think it is justified <coughs> if it is justified to kill a Taliban at all in the war of Afghanistan, let's assume that it is. Right, in that war, uh, for NATO killing, while well, he's asleep in the barracks the day before the battle, something like that, to kill him is justified. Uh, but if he's back in Kabul with his family, I don't think NATO can send a, a mission to kill him, uh, a target to kill him, you know, in, in Kabul. I admit that the, that the, the distinction is very... It's very tenuous. Uh, Statman says that too, and he goes ahead and says, kill them anywhere. If you are a boy, you can kill them anywhere, these people anywhere. I don't go that, that far. All right? Okay, so that leads us to the, uh, the, um, the topic of terrorism. And I think it was important to start with these uh, other forms in, in peacetime and wartime in order to tackle terrorists. But I want to start with something that People, well, some people talk about this, but, uh, and that is what is a terrorist? Let, and I'm going to suggest a definition that is not common in the literature. In the literature, the definition of a terrorist are very complicated, very convoluted, it's very controversial. The reason why it is complicated is that, there's, it's, that the term is not neutral. I mean, nobody says, I'm a proud terrorist. You know, terrorism, terrorist, to be a terrorist is, is a derogatory term, right? It's something that carries derision, the uh, uh, condemnatory, uh, condemnation, right? That makes it difficult. So most people accept that and say, well, okay, there are two elements. The first, it has to be killing people with uh, illegal or immoral means. For example, killing you know, innocents. And then also they say the terrorist has to have a political purpose. It doesn't matter what it is for, but it has to be as opposed to be some of the mafia or something, or someone who has a private purpose, right? In the literature, you have that definition having two, those two requirements. I modified that definition somewhat. Let me explain. 
I believe that it's, uh, oh, I define, this is a, by the way, this is a verbal issue. Okay, you can define anything you want. Uh, but I, I'm going to propose this even though I know it's just a verbal issue. I define a terrorist as somebody that has three characteristics. Does not identify himself as a combatant, that's one. Number two, uses immoral means uh, to fighting, killing of innocents. And number three, and this is the new element that I introduced, he does this, he kills immorally in the pursuit of an unjust political cause. So, in my international law class, I usually ask my students, you'll see what I mean. So, uh, so about 9-11, what, what do you think, uh, tell me what you think about the attackers on 9-11. Horrible, immoral, illegal, murderers, let's kill them, okay, very good, why? <coughs> Uh, I, I agree with that, by the way, but why? Because they killed all these innocent people. A bunch of cowards that killed all these innocent people. All right, uh, now, Osama bin Laden, when I talked the last class, he was alive, right? So Osama bin Laden now says, oh, I read the criticisms now, and I, all these critics are right. I should not have killed all these people in the Twin Towers in New York. That was wrong. So from now on, I'm gonna aim at the White House, the Pentagon, and all military targets. I'm going to conduct my my war against the United States and the West in accordance with the Geneva Convention. I'm going to just kill military leader. So I tell myself, do you like that? Do you approve of that? No, of course not. Then it's not true that the reason why they were wrong is just that they were killing innocents. There has to be something else. So I suggest that the cause that they are pursuing, that this person who does not identify himself as a combatant and who kills immorally, kills innocents, for a cause, that cause has also to be unjust, to be called a terrorist. Someone who does not identify himself as a combatant, uses immoral means, killing of innocents, but pursues a just cause, is something different. Maybe a freedom fighter who is also a war criminal. Take the Maquis in Second World War. The Maquis blew up uh, like kindergartens, you know, you know, in Second World War, blew up, killed children in schools and things like that in, in the resistance against the Germans. I believe that that's a crime, because uh, killing innocents. But I will not call them terrorists, in my definition, because the, the, they were pursuing a just cause, in the pursuit of which they committed war crimes. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, if somebody, conversely, pursues, uh, uh, does not identify himself as a combatant, right? Uh, pursues an unjust cause, but uses moral means, then I'll call that person maybe an unjust enemy or something. Like the church, Osama bin Laden hitting the Pentagon only. It's an unjust enemy, deserving of defeat. We have to fight them. My students are right about that. But in my definition, it's not a terrorist because the requirement of use immoral means is a definitional requirement of what a terrorist is. It's just, again, as I say, it's a verbal decision that I made. But it's, I think it serves the function of distinguishing between terrorists and so-called freedom fighters. Because it's a big discussion, one person's terrorist as another person's freedom fighter. I think my definition helps to say at least, when you have a freedom fighter, that is somebody who fulfills the first two conditions, but not the last one, he fights, fights for a just cause, a different analysis is needed. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say it's justified, I'm not going to say it's unjustified. I'm saying a different analysis from the one I propose here is needed. That one that has to deal with the just cause. Okay, so uh, we have now then we know then what is a terrorist and now what is the uh, uh, the conditions. 
And the conditions are, first before plunging into this, I'd like to say, <coughs> uh, say uh, uh, mention what are both in, in the West commentators the literature on terrorism, uh, how to deal with terrorism is, is, uh, is as you know, vast. And, um, and there are basically two camps. One camp that I call the law enforcement camp. According to the law enforcement camp, terrorism is like any other crime. And the liberal state should deal with it, confronted with the tools of law enforcement. That is detection, apprehension, prosecution, conviction. Uh, even though terrorism is a particularly grievous crime because of its extent and its uh, ubiquitousness, uh, uh, still the state can resort to new techniques, maybe I don't know, increase the sentences, increase the, uh, as for example, the Germans and the Italians did in the 70s facing these terrorist groups that they had, uh, or the United Kingdom with respect to the IRA. Uh, there are examples, it is thought, of law enforcement techniques. Uh, this position is extremely strong, I think, um, because it actually, not only for the obvious reasons that actually is most respectful of the rights of the person that you're pursuing, but also because it, it means much more salutary for the liberal, liberal state itself, for constitutional democracy, for freedoms in a long term. There's a lot written about that, how actually departing from the traditional uh, strictures about killing people, the state killing states, killing people, uh, departing from that is bad, not just for the people person who's given, but for us, uh, for us citizens in the liberal state. So that's the law enforcement uh, camp. The just war, the other camp, the just war camp, uh, maintains that terrorism is such that the only way to <coughs> to confront it is to resort to the tools of war making. This is has a double dimension. The, what is the first consequence of that decision? For example, the formalization of the use of war that the United States government received after 9-11, they said that you can just wage war against the terrorists, period. You use whatever wars, and then the Supreme Court has endorsed that of the United States while uh, striking out other aspects of policy of the US government. Uh, the first, the thing that is nobody, is the elephant in the room, is that the first consequence of saying that you are not just trying to find criminals, the terrorists who committed crimes, but trying to, you're waging war against them, is the permission to kill them. That is the first consequence of, is a consequence of the categorization of the conflict, is to say, it's not that these persons committed a crime, horrible crime, simply, they are, they, they perform an act of war, they made war against us, and now we are at war against them, and, uh, we can kill them on sight. So, for this view, targeted killing is the functional equivalent of killing in war. When you talk to anybody, even very liberal people on this, say, well, they killed somebody in our way. Well, he was at war with us. It's, it's the same as this. And he was in, in, in Abu whatever, in Pakistan over there. It's the same that if he had been a soldier fighting in the in the battlefield, a war, right? They are, it's a different kind of war, but it's a war. We can kill him because he's an enemy combatant. In fact, he's an unlawful enemy combatant because um, because he uh, uh, he does not identify himself as a combatant. Well, uh, I say a number of things in the piece, but I'm going to make make it quick to you. I think this position is mistake. The just war position. The reason is, simply put, that 
if somebody has a right not to be killed with the appropriate process, somebody has a right to life, let's say, even the worst criminals, you cannot erase that right by a simple unilateral declaration. If somebody has a right to life, not, not to be killed in this way, you cannot simply, the state cannot simply say, we are not at war with those persons, and therefore authorize itself to kill them on sight. To see why this is so, think about this. Suppose now the government has a list of the, the, all everyone who belongs to the mafia. Right? The mafia has been committing crimes, very serious crimes, murders even. Or not just the things the mafia had, like prostitution or gambling, with just killings and things like that. It was like in <coughs> Chicago in 1933. Now the government says, we declare war against the mafia. And so they go, happily going, you know, uh, killing persons. Uh, oh, they're now enemies uh, because we're at war with the mafia. Think about, for example, sexual predator, pedophiles. Predator, who, these are particularly repulsive people, right? Why doesn't the, why, if we agree this view, why wouldn't the government compile a list of, of, of sexual predators and, and declare war against them and say they go around and killing them as on site. That is not acceptable. I will take it to anybody. Why will this be different? Well, because, well, everybody knows the crimes they committed. Well, everybody knows they are guilty. Does not work either. Suppose somebody in a public square in the middle of London, I touch wood that doesn't doesn't happen here, right? Throws a bomb and kills uh, while uh, saying death to the West and kills 30 people, innocent people, in, in, in Trafalgar Square. Now, the person, contrary to others who commit, kill themselves, also he doesn't kill himself, he just flees, the police encircled him, and they got him there, right? He's encircled. Now, there, there were like 250 witnesses to this crime that he committed. Everybody knows he committed the crime. Why wouldn't the police then shoot him? Now, I can understand, you might say, you might say, well, yeah, nobody would be very sad if they shot them, but that's not the issue. The issue is not to get, well, you should get happy, like in the movies when the good guys kill the bad guys. It's what are the strictures? Are we complying with the strictures, the prohibitions against state killing? I would take it that you would not accept that killing, right? That what they should do is to say freeze, like you do in the movies, you know, and, ca and capture him if, 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 if they can. So, therefore, uh, however, so I reject the just war for that reason. However, the just war crowd has a point with respect to the nature of the threat, and has a point with respect to the relative difficulty of the law enforcement, uh, law enforcement uh, 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 principles to deal with terrorism. So I think that this suggests a sui generis approach. The sui generis approach, I anticipate. We saw the two paradigms in peacetime and in wartime, right? My, my uh, 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 suggestion for targeting the, the justification of uh, legitimacy of uh, targeted killing of terrorists falls between the two, but it's closer, you're going to see, to the peacetime, right? So, uh, the, uh, in, uh, so in a wartime setting, that doesn't apply. The conditions apply of, that apply to the Geneva Convention. In a peacetime setting, which is the difficult case, the killing is necessary to foil a terrorist plot, to prevent the death of innocent persons. It's the same as the peace, the one in peace that I mentioned, except that it doesn't, it's not as strict. It doesn't require 
massive death of hundreds of thousands of persons, as I said it should require for the peace time. It's enough that the killing is necessary to foil a terrorist plot. The target is culpable, so it's the same as before. You cannot kill the family of the terrorist, you have to do the terrorist. The state just has a just cause in the sense I mentioned before. If the state is, does not have a just cause, then the target killing will not be acceptable. And there are no non-lethal alternatives. So exactly as, as the um, peace time, except that the first condition is relaxed. And the killing is not necessary to avoid a war or a genocide, but to foil a terrorist plot. So it is a sui generis. The state, uh, the state only needs to show, to make it lawful, that it's necessary to foil a terrorist plot. OK, I have five minutes I want to discuss some of the objections to all of this, right? There are two kinds of objections that are general objections to targeted killing, right? One is what I call the epistemic objection. The state uh, has to determine all these things. Now think about this, for example. The killing is necessary. It's a necessity requirement. I don't adopt imminence. Some people, Philip Heyman, for example, suggest imminence, but, but necessity because imminence falls into that. But that's a, that's a very big assessment that the state has to make. Even Bin Laden, maybe Bin Laden was retired, I don't know. Do you know if Bin Laden had actually retired already? I have no idea. I mean, was he, the, I mean, I, if I had to guess, I would say that no, that he was onto something bad. But, but uh, do you know, no, does the state know if he was, <coughs> what he was up to? Maybe he was not into, so even in his case, how difficult it is. They have to, uh, uh, to know that the, the person is the person that actually created the risk. And that mis mistake, ident uh, identity mistakes are not uncommon in these operations. Okay? They often they kill the wrong person. Uh, the state has to be sure that he has a just cause, right? Uh, there are no no lethal alternatives. Uh, with respect, just to finish my 40 minutes that I have allotted, to, to some of in Latin, uh, I, I, assuming, giving the benefit of the doubt to President Obama on the first conditions, my problem is with capture. If you read the accounts, it is unclear at the very least whether Osama bin Laden was completely unarmed. If he was unarmed, my contention <laughs> is that the officer that killed him, who killed him, acted in illegitimately because he could have been apprehended, captured. Right now, the, the, the policy of administration says, well, it is very preferable to capture him. Preferable is not enough. It's not a, prefer, a preferred thing. It pre killing somebody who you can capture at no risk to other innocent persons, I discussed that also in the paper, is mandatory. It's not simply preferable, like the administration says. Right? So, uh, so uh, in the case of Inlaren, if he was reaching for a gun, then reluctantly conclude that the killing was justified. If he was unarmed and raised his hands, he or not didn't raise his hands, he was unarmed, <laughs> then the killing is not. So uh, the um, uh, that's the epistemic objection. The uh, objections were called it is uh, an interesting philosophical problem, the political virtue objection. What does that mean? I mean that means that even if everything else is just is satisfied. We don't want to be the persons who pull the trigger. Just There's a distinction between the following two assertions. It is a good thing that Bin Laden is dead. 
and it is a good thing that I killed doing that. It's called the problem of rel rel agent relativity that is discussed by Tom Nagel and others. Extremely complicated philosophical problem, but the gist of it is there is something problematic about the liberal state which is supposed to reflect the feelings of sensitive human citizens, human beings, morally sensitive, killing people deliberately, right? Uh, there is something problematic, some, even if some task has to be done, that doesn't have to do with the badness of the person, but with our goodness. So there is a presumption also, again, we come wrong, that the liberal state should not be in the business of killing. I think it is objectionable if the president gave secret orders to kill him, to get him dead or alive, that is immoral. I mean, you can, I think morally you cannot do that. If somebody is unarmed, you have actually to, uh, to refrain from killing him. He's all combat, right? It's out of combat. So, uh, just to conclude, this is my conclusion. This is one of the topics, those of you who have read my work, uh, I, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, you would say that I am soft on the question of war, on the question of terrorism. Uh, I have supported the war in Iraq against a great, a great cost to my career. Uh, I, I'm fine. Nothing happened to me. Uh, right? And, and as, as many know. On this issue, I didn't know where I was going to come out. I suspect that I would come out in favor of the killing of, pe of people like Bin Laden. But the more I thought about it, the, the less likely that seemed to me what the claims, the mainstream claims are made for this legitimacy of killing a terrorist. And I then realized, just to put a little bit of autobiography, that the, the, what allowed me to see the problem here is my own experience with Argentina in the 1970s. The Argentine government, okay, the Argentine government is not Obama, right? I know that, but there are big differences between a liberal democracy and a junta, fascist junta. But they follow that. The same thing they said, and it's true that the terrorists in Argentina circa 1976 were very violent and vicious and they were threatened, they were really horrible people. Uh, urban guerrilla, uh, 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 countryside guerrilla, and this right-wing military junta took over and they said, we declare war against these people. And they started killing them on sight. But of course they killed them and their families and their friends and everybody else and to show what happens when you give that kind of power. So I don't I agree with that. I don't want my government to be able to declare war on individuals and start killing them. Vicious as those individuals may be. That's it. Thank you.